Let me welcome Tim Guleri from Sierra Ventures. I've known Tim for a very long time, and uh, I'm a big fan of Sierra Ventures and all the work that, uh, that the, the firm does. And I have a very personal debt to Sierra Ventures, which I will tell you about in a moment. But welcome, Tim. Thank you for coming. Uh, Sermana, thanks for the invite. And it's uh, so, so nice to see you uh, again. And uh, certainly in these uh, COVID-infused times, great to see your smiling face uh, this morning. So, Tim, I have to tell you a story before we go on. <laughs> um, you know, uh, I, you probably know my husband, Dominique Trumpon, because Sierra uh, funded Penisa, the company that he ran. Yes. Now, Dave Schwab was uh, on his board. And um, in 2001, um, Dominique was running Penisa, and um, I think Dominique and Dave were talking, and, uh, and Dominique had this idea of uh, a business model within Canisa, which was going to be in some you know, tangential direction. So, um, so, so Dominique was chatting with Dave, and Dave said, oh, why don't you call Shramana, and she can work it out. So that was the first time I met Dominique <laughs> through the oh <laughs> <laughs> And then we did this project, and then I went off, and, and two years later, we reconnected professionally, and then we've been together ever since. <laughs> It's such a great story. Uh, yeah, this is like uh, truly, truly venture capital value add in all dimensions. So this is great. I have no idea. So anyway, let's catch up on what's going on at Sierra. What are you doing with the firm? And, and what is the current investment thesis and so forth? No, uh, Sramana, so thanks uh, for that uh, lovely memory. That, that's great. And say a warm hello to uh, Dominique. But uh, Sierra, uh, as you, you rightly pointed out, uh, is a early stage venture capital firm. Um, we have, uh, this is our 39th year in operation. And uh, we are singularly focused on early stage B2B uh, and deep tech. So we don't uh, uh, do consumer uh, oriented companies. Uh, we are uh, deep in the sector and uh, we, we think we specialize and we can really add value in the early stage of, uh, of uh, venture investing. Uh, we are, uh, Sermana, investing our 12th fund uh, now, which was uh, raised uh, right as COVID hit, so March of 2020. And uh, we are really uh, looking for uh, elite entrepreneurs, uh, you know, that have a bold vision um, and, and they want to build lasting companies. So. Uh, we don't care where in the world you are, where you start. Uh, we want to be the bridge uh, to the U.S. and certainly to the Silicon Valley uh, ecosystem, and work closely with these founders to really reimagine and you know build a lasting company or lasting enterprise. So, uh, I've been uh, at Sierra since uh, 2002, so I'm nearly coming on 20 years. And uh, we just love what we do uh, in the early stage of the, the business building um, uh, journey. Uh, but that's a bit about Sierra. So Tim, um, let's double click down on a bunch of different things you said there. Yeah. Um, firstly, early stage. Tell me what is your definition of early stage? What points do you like to come into a B2B deal? What do you like to see by way of proof points or what kind of 
you know, what is your entry point usually? Yeah. So, uh, Surman, obviously, uh, if you've asked me this question every five years since I've been at Sierra, the answer would be slightly different because the market, uh, you know, keeps evolving and keeps shifting. Uh, today, uh, because of um, the, uh, you know, the fact that you can actually build and scale a company uh, with, with, you know, very few dollars relative to 20 years ago, uh, we are uh, seeing uh, some pretty innovative, uh, you know, work being done by early entrepreneurs, um, you know, in, in, in kind of the early part of their life um, as a company. So we've likewise, um, you know, uh, become very flexible as a, as a you know, uh, early stage fund and what the entrepreneur needs. So we actually uh, fit the dollar uh, uh, check that we write to the need of the company. So we've actually flipped it around and uh, we do pre-seeds, which definitionally we would be less than a million dollars, believe it or not, um, into a company. Uh, we do seeds uh, and jokingly, what are called fat seeds, which are, you know, kind of two to four million dollars in size. And um, obviously series A's, which are, um, you know, the definition of even that is changing now, but let's call it, you know, six to seven million dollars as an initial check. So okay. I think the takeaway would be that very flexible in the in the in the check size. It really comes to how many you know what are the milestones that the company's at today, and where are the milestones going to look like in eighteen months, and then underwrite that uh, that journey. And what um, would you then invest in concepts? And are you investing in concepts? Yes, we uh, we we do uh, and we have uh, the um, the bar for the experience of the team in that particular pain point that they're going after is extremely high uh, for yes. those uh, those kind of uh, investment bets because uh, clearly you're uh, you're betting on the future based on the experience the team might have had. Uh, but uh, the short answer is yes, we have done those, uh, you know, uh, as you know, even in the last year. So, Tim, the the uh, theme that I'm hearing from everyone who is willing to do a, you know, <clears throat> concept stage investing um, is basically twofold. One is either the team has done it before and knows what they're doing, and the investor knows the team. And secondly, sometimes if it's a extraordinary level of domain knowledge in a first-time entrepreneur team, that's also a scenario in which people are considering uh, concept stage investing. Are those uh, criteria for you, or is there anything else that you also uh, consider? Uh, I think there, there are really two ways I look at it, uh, Sermana. One is obviously um, the first bucket is that uh, it's a team that's got a deep domain, um, you know, knowledge in a particular space that we know. Uh, and uh, they might have done it inside a very interesting company. Uh, a great example of that is a company I did uh, a seed investment, investment then called Sadai. Uh, this team of uh, three people had built um, application monitoring infrastructure inside of PayPal. 
which runs PayPal's core infrastructure today in an autonomous way. And uh, our view was that the world needs this and they need to see this built externally. So when that team came out, we funded them because, you know, the idea was uh, this is not theory. They're already doing it at, at, at PayPal. Right. They can do it for the rest of the world. So that's one, one example. I think yeah. the other is uh, what I'll call business model innovation. So this would be uh, a team that uh, has experienced something prior, but they're hitting a problem in today's uh, market with a very different uh, go-to-market orientation. And uh, we've seen innovations in that uh, that's uh, your know, modality as well. So those would be the three, uh, the two uh, ways we look at the two by two of you know pre-revenue or pre-traction investments that we do. Yeah. Now, um, talk to me a bit about um, the innovation that you are most interested in. There is business model innovation. There is technology innovation. There is process innovation. This application monitoring that you talked about probably is more of a process innovation than a very deep technology innovation um, and, and powered by deep domain knowledge. The one that I sent you recently is a sales process innovation, yeah. right? Sales ops innovation. Yeah. Um, how do you weigh the different kinds of innovation, the defensibility of the, of the deals in those kinds of innovations? Yeah. So I think um, uh, the answer would, will probably surprise you. Uh, and I actually uh, think that um, the business model innovation is actually the uh, most important fundamental moat uh, that one one needs to think about as an early uh, stage, uh, you know, as an entrepreneur, uh, because. Um, you know, technical innovation is is a, is a great to have, right? But if you think about companies that get to 100, 200, 300 million dollars in ARR, uh, the ones that have business model innovation fundamentally uh, are the ones that can survive the arc of, uh, you know, competition and markets shifting, et cetera. So what I tend to do, uh, Sramana, is actually, if I can get uh, the the a company that has deep a deep technical note, I will take that, which was the case in Sadai. And when we are working with them, we begin to put the foundation for business model innovation and what I'll call distribution innovation. That how do you get the product out to market in a way that that um, makes us a very efficient uh, company, right? So if I if I when I invest, if I have a deep domain uh, technical note. I'll try to help the entrepreneur build or you know start putting the foundations of of business model or distribution innovation right uh if I can find an early stage company that already has distribution innovation uh I love those because those are actually harder to do believe it or not than technical mm -hmm. inventions so uh I'm a big believer having uh you know I've had the pleasure of you know writing a first check into a company and taking them public so Kind of that end to end journey. When you look at a company from a public markets uh, lens, the distribution innovation is actually the one that trumps uh, the technical innovation. So, very interesting perspective. Um, let's actually do a few case studies. You have obviously developed a very informed perspective on this. So, walk us through maybe a couple of examples 
what they came to you with, what you saw, what was the business model and distribution innovation that that made them successful? Yeah. So, uh, Sramana, probably the easiest, uh, you know, example to give you, uh, which I think your audience will understand, uh, is, um, you know, companies that have an open source, um, you know, um, genesis, right? Yeah. So, I uh, invested in a, a company, actually one of, uh, you know, uh, my, my second investment at Sierra uh, called Sourcefire. And this company yeah. was based in Washington DC in the security space. So they built firewalls and uh, these these products called uh, intrusion detection prevention. So, you know, if there's bad stuff flying through your network, they could detect that. And uh, the company was founded by uh, this, this phenomenal entrepreneur called Marty Roche. And Marty had uh, uh, written uh, this piece of open source uh, software called Snort, S-N-O-R-T. And uh, you know, it's a it's a wordplay on sniffer, which is uh, how you sniff traffic and then see if there's any bad stuff in it. So this uh, this little uh, open source project had taken a life of its own, and uh, when we invested, they were had about you know two million downloads, and 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 we they were getting enterprise traction at the time, and we wrote our you know three million dollar check, uh, and I think the company was at six pre you know, approximately nine posts. We were the first, um, my partner, Mark Fernandez and I you know, jumped on a plane to uh, give him a term sheet. He was so excited that we met Marty at uh, the RSA show. And uh, the interesting, uh, so that company, obviously we hired a sales team and, you know, we, uh, we really uh, nourished the open source project, right? And we really built the community. We had a whole part of uh, the company that just did community marketing. Right. Mm -hmm. And I still remember, uh, Sermana, when we were uh, having the board meeting right before going public. Yeah. Uh, and this company ultimately, after going public, got bought by uh, Cisco Systems for about 2.4 billion. But mm -hmm. at that board meeting, when the CEO was doing uh, his, his quarterly review, there were only four in, uh, companies or deals in that quarter that were above 500k in size right a plethora of the deals even then when we were about to go public were in the 50 to you know to seventy thousand dollars range so just the power of distribution the fact yeah. that source was you know really uh customers were experiencing the product using open source and then buying it so that's a great example Very sustained yeah. uh its arc of growth and ultimately uh cisco which is probably a, a good prototype of a closed source company saw the value of distribution and, and ended up paying, um, you know, a really good multiple for, uh, for source fire. Have you done other deals in that mode? Yes, uh, I have. In fact, um, uh, a really interesting company out of Cincinnati uh, is a company called Astronomer and uh, they are based on open source uh, project called Airflow. And mm -hmm. uh, they're building, um, think of it as a next generation MuleSoft. So in mm -hmm. the uh, data pipeline space, so pipeline as a service, uh, as you know, uh, that uh, uh, polyglot uh, data infrastructures that run on the cloud and run on prem are becoming the mainstay of, uh, you know, the uh, computing backbone today. 
And connecting these uh, databases and applications is very, very tough at scale. So uh, Astronomer is, is going after that market opportunity. And it was the exact same uh, mode. Uh, Sraman, I did the series Seed um, and backed uh, an entrepreneur I worked with before. Uh, his name is Joe Otto. Uh, out of uh, out of uh, Cincinnati, so again, not a popular venture destination, but we love it. Uh, the entrepreneur was in, in St. Louis. Um, Raya Walker was the founder, uh, uh, partnered with Joe, and uh, you know we were lucky enough to um, you know help them get to start building the enterprise uh, uh, version of the product, and the companies raised a couple of rounds and, and really, really uh, been really successful right off the gate. You have two in the business, but we've got, you know, big prospects for them. Super. You know, um, Tim, I'm actually thinking about some of the work that we are doing right now around PATH, which is also a distribution innovation. I mean, one of the reasons Salesforce has been as successful as it has been is because it managed to not only do a SaaS product, but it also did this whole SaaS strategy very early on and and got huge traction on that and built great companies on top of their past platforms like yes. a platform like the Vivas and the Velocities and the Absence yes. and the blah, blah, blah. So um, I'm actually very curious to hear what you are seeing um, in your orbit of other companies pursuing this strategy? Yeah, I think, um, you know, this actually connects nicely, uh, Sramana, with the earlier point I've made, which is uh, how companies can get out of the gate really fast without raising too much of capital and get product market fit. And I think uh, that's the reason that platform as a service or PaaS is very popular because um, you can assume that that infrastructure is in place for you to build your application on, yeah. right? And those services are are, are world class. They scale globally, and yeah. you can just build and go. And uh, a great example of that actually is a couple of entrepreneurs I backed uh, from Tokyo, um, Japan, a company called Treasure Data, which built a marketing customer data platform or CDP. And these were first time entrepreneurs uh, again. Classic Sierra, we wrote the first uh, check-in, but they built a effectively a data warehouse. So this is the, you know, think of it in, in a way, the prior generation to what Snowflake is doing today, but targeting at the marketing uh, segment. And the company uh, was able to innovate so quickly uh, because they were using the object store uh, S3 architecture that, you know, Salesforce had uh, uh, sorry, uh, what AWS had and a variety of other services. And uh, they got to, you know, $40 million in ARR when they got approached and purchased by uh, SoftBank a few years ago for 600 mil. But that's a great mm -hmm. example of innovating above what the past platforms provide. And I feel that uh, any entrepreneur that is in the market today should be taking advantage of, you know, GCP or Azure or or Amazon and certainly others uh, that are uh, like Salesforce that you pointed out. Yeah, and there's some, you know, other Salesforce, of course, is the classic, but there are we are we are talking to a bunch of different interesting companies that have, you know, both marketplaces, API strategies, and and uh, you know making their infrastructures available. 
Snowflake is a very interesting one. Actually, there are a lot of companies building on top of Snowflake right now. We are talking to Snowflake, and uh, Atlassian has built a fabulous marketplace um, yes. and lots of apps, um, and they're acquiring from their marketplace. Uh, I spoke with a company called PagerDuty. It's a public company in the mm -hmm. real-time work space. They have done about 500 integrations and they're looking to build a large scale PaaS ecosystem. And so if you're in this real time uh, alert kind of mode of application, that's a, an interesting stack to, to integrate with and leverage in building uh, whatever it is that you're trying to build. So there's, I think, very interesting stuff going on uh, from some of the larger players who are opening up their ecosystems, their APIs, and their platforms. Now, um, have you seen companies that are coming up that are going to be past themselves? Like, for example, you know, I feel that AI is is right for a path strategy, a path platform strategy. Like, if you look at C3 AI, they're going after enterprises, but there's uh, there's no equivalent of C3 AI on which, you know. A hundred or, or you know, hundred thousand uh, startups can build AI apps. What what is your analysis of that? Yeah, I think um, uh, Sramana. I think the and never say never, but I think it would be uh, hard for uh, an entrepreneur, um, you know, without deep you know, capital access to capital to build a, you know, uh, do a sort of a purpose-built PaaS for the same reason that uh, you need to uh, invest uh, a lot of money in ensuring all the lower layer, layer of services are in place. And, and these are very expensive data centers and obviously infrastructure has to be scalable. I feel that, uh, so uh, to have a brand new platform um, that would compete with the, let's call them the big three or the big four. IBM's made a recent, uh, you know, set of public noise that they're, you know, come you know, come back into this market. Uh, would be hard. That's point number one, because it just takes too much capital. Uh, the second would be, I think, uh, data. So for AI to succeed in any domain, whether you're building a horizontal AI platform or bespoke AI uh, for a particular uh, application set, uh, you need to uh, have a lot of data to really train these models, and data tends to uh, collect uh, in these in these massive past platforms. So, if you uh, have a view that da data is necessary at scale uh, to train any kind of AI that you're putting into the market, it again brings you back to the big three or the big four. So. Um, uh, look, I know the folks at uh, C3 really well. Uh, Tom Siegel was, um, you know, in the CRM space when I was in the CRM space. Uh, they've actually scaled the business on the backs of uh, very large uh, government contracts and 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 building, you know, sort of verticalized, uh, you know, AI applications um, and and starting the, you know, uh, you know, uh, those kind of industries that are regulated somewhat. So I think that he was able to do it in a very different way because he's Tom Siebel and he's got, you know, reach into the market. But I think for your, um, you know, uh, uh, normal uh, kind of 
early stage entrepreneur, uh, that sales motion is, is, is quite difficult in my opinion. Uh, and data is a second point. So I feel that, um, uh, a dedicated uh, AI SaaS is, or PaaS is probably hard, uh, but building an AI-powered application or infrastructure is easy if you use one of these four that are available. Right. So, uh, you know, I, I've kind of thought about it similar to you because of the capital issue, and, and as you know, we emphasize bootstrapping a lot, so you can't really do a PaaS company with all the, the entire stack being built on a bootstrap uh, strategy, so so that's a no go. But uh, but the the Salesforce.com strategy of building an you know a vertical app or some kind of an app that is targeting a specific market yes. to build the business up to a point, yes. and then doing the opening up the platform, and and this could still be on top of AWS. But then there are many layers on top of AWS where you put in the AI layer, the data layer, et cetera, maybe Snowflake, et cetera. But, uh, but I think once you are in the market and you have already gained some amount of critical mass, then you can start playing the platform game to, yeah. to get into other markets. Yeah, that I absolutely agree with. And, and there are two great examples of that. So an app that then became a PaaS and a PaaS then that became an app. So uh, the example of the first one is obviously Salesforce, where they started with CRM and then, then they opened up their paths for you know general consumption and great companies like Viva and uh, Velocity have come out of that. The other example on the other side is Twilio, which started as a you know effectively a, a dial tone paths, and now they're entering the application market. As you know, uh, they're coming at the at the IVR uh, you know. Uh, uh, CCAS market, which is contact center uh, in the cloud. So they're going the other direction. So both are possible and uh, both both have been done very successfully. Yeah, Twilio is doing a very interesting job with this, uh, with business model innovation. I, I follow them closely. There's a very, very interestingly played hand. Yes, yes. So um, Tim, switching gears a little bit, you've talked quite a bit about your uh, quite a diverse um, hinterland from which you're drawing your deals. Talk a little bit about how you find them or how they find you. Japan, Cincinnati, St. Louis, Washington, how, how is this happening? Yeah, so I think uh, there are a couple of things, uh, uh, Sramana. So one is we've got uh, a very clear uh, positioning in the venture ecosystem as a firm. And uh, we have not wavered uh, over the last 40 years, and uh, we are uh, principally serving early stage and B2B. And with that clarity uh, of mission uh, comes, uh, comes you know, a, a sort of clear positioning in the market and entrepreneurs, uh, when they, you know, when they search or Google or talk to the colleagues, you know, they get, um, you, know, you know, a pretty small cluster of firms that, you know, are in this, cohort and um, and uh, we, we tend to get a, a large amount of inbound uh, because of that. That's point number one. Second is uh, we are uh, a very hungry partnership uh, and we have a very um, large uh, network of um, friends in the ecosystem, boomerang entrepreneurs. Uh, we have uh, a, a young team of investors 
uh, that are very active in the ecosystem by market. So for instance, we have, um, you know, a, a person that is dedicated to the Midwest region to reach out uh, to B2B mm -hmm. entrepreneurs that are innovating there. We have somebody covering um, Canada. We've got somebody covering Israel. So the way those guys work is they will partner with the local venture firms, make sure mm -hmm. they know us and we know them vice versa. So there's a bit of a ground game uh, that, is, yeah. uh, that, is, uh, that is there. And the last thing I'd say is, We've got uh, 80 person strong uh, CIO uh, council or CIO network. And yeah. uh, these 80 CIOs uh, are uh, the ones that are consuming um, services from these early stage companies. And they, when they see a really interesting one, you know, they, uh, say, they send us, uh, uh, you know, that deal flow. I was just yesterday on the phone with, uh, you know, the head of cloud at uh, Fidelity, who is one of our uh good friends and you know we were talking about you know what are you seeing in the market and he just rattled off three names of companies he find very innovative and you know did the introduction so i think that's uh those are the three uh predominant ways in which uh, you know entrepreneurs uh, get connected with sierra yeah and um what are the trends uh, how do you synthesize what you see out there right now um by way of deal flow, uh, teams that are emerging, and, and also what you would like to invest in based on those teams? Yeah, I think, uh, so a couple of uh, points there. I think one is, uh, Sermana, we, so if you just boil, uh, take a step back. So we do what I'll call classic, uh, you know, uh, uh, infrastructure investing. So obviously cloud, uh, data, uh, security, um, and, 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 you know, uh, from a business model standpoint, there's, there's, uh, you know, a software as a service or transactional, uh, transactional based business model. So that's, that's, you know, the regular gamut. Uh, then we, and on the deep tech side, we've done some, some, you know, uh, very interesting companies and, in, in So the, this is AI, uh, innovation using cameras. And how that that applies to different vertical uh, problems, so that we find that very interesting. We've done some blockchain investing, which is um, again blockchain infrastructure. Uh, that's of great interest to us. And um, uh, vertical SaaS. So we think that uh, there's going to be a lot of innovation uh, at the application layer uh, yeah. as uh, entrepreneurs, you know, build certain verticals. And so uh, I think those are some of the broader Kind of clusters in which we are seeing great uh, great companies. Uh, the so that's one. The second is from a trend standpoint, very very strong trend in developer led um, uh, go to markets. So, but developers are this distribution um, channel, right? Um, and I think we're seeing a very dominant uh, sort of uh, innovation in that in that in that stream. The second is API led. So effectively headless infrastructure where you know there's an api go to model and there's obviously a cross connector connect between developer led and api led because apis are consumed by developers but that api led uh, led market is actually quite interesting and it's booming in different verticals and also on the horizontal part of the stack so yeah. uh, so it's exciting and the third bubble i'd say is it's the third coming of uh, open source uh, the first mm -hmm. 
was when I did Sourcefire, uh, you know, that in the early 2000s. The second was after, you know, kind of the 2008. Uh, this is when, uh, you know, great companies um, uh, were, were, you know, were invested into, some of which you see in the market today at scale. Uh, and uh, I think around Kubernetes and that entire, um, you know, uh, new ecosystem, I think we're seeing third coming of open source. So that would be the, you know, the third trend. Hmm. You know, um, we've talked to quite a few companies that are doing this API-led path strategy, and I think that will produce a lot of interesting companies. I was talking to Unbabel. I don't know if you've seen this company. It's no. a, a AI translation um, technology, CMU, um, a team out of CMU, computer scientists, and um, Portuguese, actually. Um, mm -hmm. And they are doing, I think, 60% of their business is on Zendesk. So they are, you know, talking to Zendesk through, through an API and, and running their technology on top of Zendesk. And also, I think Zendesk Marketplace uh, is working. So they get a lot of leads out of Zendesk. And I'm hearing this quite often, is that where there is an API call with, with a company that has a substantial customer base, a lot of leads are coming from those companies because they want to intensify their you know, exit barriers by integrating with other apps and so forth. So this is a very interesting emerging trend. Yes, yes, definitely. All right, well, we could go on and on, but uh, I need to close up today. We will uh, continue later. All right, Sermana, thank you again for the invite and, uh, you know, a quick call out to all the entrepreneurs that are looking uh, looking at this uh, great, great uh, format and podcast. If there's uh, any interest uh, to connect with us, you can do so directly. Uh, we're all on uh, uh, you know, Twitter and LinkedIn and uh, through Sermon as well. So thank you again for giving me the opportunity. Bye, Tim. All right. Thank you.